Thank you so much for joining us today at our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in five different locations. And our goal is to help you on your spiritual journey to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference in the lives around you. If you'd like to learn more about our Savior's Church or how to get involved, visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. Let me ask you a question. What comes to mind when you think of legacy? You don't have to shout it out. I'm not asking you to raise your hand. I just want you to think about it for a moment. Because many of us might think of, you know, driving by a college campus and seeing your name on there. Reese Building Facility, right? Whatever it is, it's never going to happen. Let me just tell you that right now. It'll never happen for me and probably for most of us in here. Our name will never be on a building. But that's not really legacy, Many of us, for some of us, when we think of legacy, you, you go automatically to the business empire that you're building so you can give it to your kids. And more than likely, your kids will run it into the ground and never do anything with it. <laughs> or, or maybe some of you here, you think of legacy as leaving a lot of money or land. You're land people, so you're like, I'm leaving a lot of land and money to my loved ones. Well, last week... Pastor Jacob told us very clearly that inheritance is not legacy. Matter of fact, inheritance, listen to this, is what you leave behind, but legacy is who you leave behind. Inheritance is what you leave behind, but legacy is who you leave behind. And legacy is a future without you, yet still influenced by you. And last week, if you didn't hear Pastor Jacob's message, it was an amazing word about the miracle of feeding the 5,000s. And really, it was about a little boy who brought his fish and loaves, all that he had. And while everybody there probably had some food, he got to be a part of a miracle because he was willing to give. And what I love about legacy in our legacy series is we're going to have that opportunity to be a part of a million dollar miracle where God, watch this, is going to get it, get it through us, so get it to us so we can get it through us. And it's going to be amazing. And I'll tell you more about that as we go along. But today, I really want you to ask you an important question. And I want you to be honest, okay? I'm going to ask some participation right now. Who wants to be remembered when they're gone? You say, I want to be remembered. That's what, if you lie, you fry. Okay, so if you're sitting there, we all know you want to be remembered. You, you, we all want to be remembered, right? We, we all, have you ever been curious about, like, man, I wish, I hope in heaven I'm able to see who's at my funeral and who's not at my funeral. You know, you're, you're there and you're going, you're like, you're looking down, you're going, oh, Susie's not here. She was my best friend. What? You know, and you're wondering maybe even what they're going to say about you. Are they going to say good things? Are they going to tell jokes? Is it going to be laughing, crying? Is there going to be a lot of crying? You're, some of you are all like, I want a lot of crying at mine. That means they really miss me. That means they really remember me. Well, it was so funny. I read the other day, I read an article about a 45-year-old man in Bosnia, and he faked his own death and planned his own funeral. Watch this. I kid you not that he faked his own death. He paid off so many people to get a death certificate. And then he began planning his own funeral and he got the coffin and he had to pay off some people because there was no body in the coffin. I mean, this is like a a, a Huck Finn kind of deal right now. And so he ends up going to and attending his own funeral. But we need to be careful about what we're wanting, right? Because as he went, he was sorely disappointed that the only person that showed up was his elderly mom. And it begins to make you think, 
well, who's going to remember me? Who's going to remember me? Are they going to remember me for what I've done? Listen, I, I love being your pastor. And for some of you, if you don't know me, I'm honored to, to, to be in front of you this morning. I played in the NFL, played with the Saints, recovered an onside kick, won the Super Bowl. All, that's all great stuff. But listen to me. If any of y'all bring up that falling on the football stuff at my funeral, I'm going to curse you from heaven. I'm going to haunt your house the whole time, okay? Why? Because I don't want to be known by that. That's not the legacy that I want to leave. It's a part of my story, but it's not a part of my legacy. Because my kids, they don't look at me as a former football player and guy who fell on a ball. They look at me as daddy. My wife looks at me as a husband. I want my legacy to be something more, something greater than falling on a football and winning a Super Bowl. You want to know why? Because in 100 years, none of us is going to remember that play. So when people come up and go, you're a living legend. You will always be remembered in saints history. I just go along and say, thank you so much. But then that's not my legacy. It's a part of my story, but it's not my legacy. How will you be remembered? Who will remember you? And what will that look like? And today, this morning, I want to show you how you can be remembered forever. Because I don't know about you, I want to be remembered forever, but I don't want to be remembered forever for falling on a ball. I want to be remembered for so much more. But the psalmist tells us in Psalm 112 exactly how we can be remembered forever. Here's what it says. Listen to this. This is so good. Psalm 112, starting in verse 5. It says, good will come to those who are generous. That's huge. Listen to that. And lend freely. Who conduct their affairs with justice. Surely the righteous will never be shaken. Watch this. They will be remembered forever. They'll be remembered forever. The Bible tells us what it takes to be remembered forever. And there's two things. It's one is giving and the other is living. Think about that for a second. One of them is giving, the other is lending. He he said it's generous. Good comes to those who are generous. And then it says how you conduct your affairs are important. So it's about our giving and our living. The first one is this. What is, it's not just giving, but it's giving to something that will outlive me. Giving to something that outlive me. Listen to me. Whether it's your time, your talent, your resources, using those to make a difference for eternity. You want to know why? Because the world and the secular outside world only thinks of today and how many days you have left. But we as believers, if you are a born-again believer, we have an eternal perspective set on something higher and greater. So we know the buck doesn't stop with me. It keeps going to my kids, my great-grandkids, my great-great-great-great-great-grandkids, and so on and so forth. It's generational, eternal perspective. It's huge. Giving to something that will outlive me. Why? Because you can't take it with you. You might as well send it ahead of you. And not only that, it's not just giving, but it's living. It's living so my life outlives me. You see, the Bible says, listen to this. The psalmist said in Psalm 90, teach me to number my days, God. You ever notice if you've had a loved one or you yourself have gotten a a bad diagnosis, a cancer or, or an illness, 
and you hear the dreaded words, you have this many days, this many months, this many years to live. It's interesting how people begin to live differently, don't they? Why? Because their days are numbered and they know it. God said in his word, we need to live like our days are numbered because we're going to live differently. We're going to give differently and we're going to live differently. We're not going to just live so we can please ourselves. We're going to go and we're going to live for others. We're going to live for an eternal perspective. Why? Please don't miss this. Please don't miss this. Because the goal to live isn't to live on earth forever, but to leave something that does. The goal isn't to live on earth forever. Some of y'all drinking the, the nasty juice, the green juice. It's gross. <laughs> Thinking you can add another minute to your life. Forever young, right? But that's not the goal. The goal is to leave something that does. Well, Pastor Chris, what does that look like? What does it look like to leave a legacy that's remembered? Well, today I want to break down a story. And I want us to enter into the narrative of this story in the book of Matthew. And just like Pastor Jacob last week, the story that we're going to go over in Matthew 26, it actually appears in all four Gospels. And you know, if something is repeated in the Bible, then that means it's pretty important. Amen? And so we need to pay attention to what has happened here. And it's a story about an unlikely person who gave an unlikely gift and a legacy that's lasting forever for thousands and thousands of years. And guess what? This is the coolest part. It wasn't by a super holy person. It wasn't even by one of the 12 disciples. It was by somebody so unlikely, somebody so out there that they did something so amazing for God that they're remembered forever. I don't know about you. I want to I be that person. I want to be the nobody that gives something that's always remembered because God is praised. And we get to enter into that story Today. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Matthew chapter 26. If not, it'll be up on the screen. And we're starting in verse 6, reading out of the Passions translation because it's way holier than anything else. Here we go. Then Jesus went to Bethany to the home of Simon, a man Jesus had healed of leprosy. And so a woman came into his house holding an alabaster flask filled with fragrant and expensive oil. And she walked right up to Jesus. This is so good. This is so good. She walked right up to Jesus. And in a lavish gesture of devotion, she poured out the costly oil and it cascaded over his head as he was at the table. And when the disciples saw this, they were offended. What a total waste, they grumbled. We could have sold it for a great deal of money and given it to the poor. Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, why are you critical of this woman? She has done a beautiful act of kindness for me. You will always have someone poor whom you can help, but you will not always have me. Verse 12. And when she poured the fragrant oil over me, she was preparing my body for burial. Watch this. This is so good. Here's Jesus' promise. And I promise you that as this wonderful gospel spreads all over the world, the story of her lavish devotion to me will also be mentioned in memory of her forever. You know what? I want to know what's crazy about this story. There was one act of devotion, one crazy act of devotion that got this woman remembered forever. That Jesus said, she'll be remembered. Her name will be spoken of. But what's even crazier is as we enter the narrative of the story, and I want you to imagine you're in that room with all the disciples and Jesus, and you've got a video camera. This is the old school video camera. Some of y'all know what I'm talking about right here. 
the one that's on your shoulder, that you got the eyepiece, you know, and you got that camera. And imagine you in that room and you're filming everybody. And watch this. The camera pans back and forth between Jesus and the disciples because of what this woman did. And what's so interesting about it, watch this, is what the disciples saw as wasteful, Jesus said, was worship. How can everybody see the same event, but one says wasteful and one says worship? How can one act of devotion to some people say wasteful and to others and to Jesus, the Son of God, it says it's beautiful, it's worth it, and it's worship? It's worship. And that gift, that act of what she gave, how she gave, why, listen to me, is outlasting any of our legacies. And I want to know why, how, how did she do this? What did it look like? Because listen to me, we all want to leave, leg- leave a legacy. But if you see legacy as giving money, you're wrong. You need to see legacy as changing lives. Because that's what Jesus saw. The disciples said, we could have used that for something better. But Jesus said, no, no, no. That was worship and it was beautiful. You can see legacy as giving money or you can see legacy at changing lives. Because that's what it's really all about. Her gift is still inspiring. So I'm just wondering, and we're all wondering, how come the disciples said waste, but Jesus said worship? How come it was beautiful to one person but, and significant to one person, but wasteful to the other? What did Jesus see that the disciples did not see in this woman act? And how can we leave a life of legacy? And how can we do that act and that generous act of legacy just like this woman did? I want to break it down into three ways, and then we're going to close this morning. Okay, three things. You can write these down. It was the way she gave, it was the what she gave, and it was why she gave. It was the way she gave, it was what she gave, and it was why she gave. The first one is, it's the way. It's the way she gave. Listen to this. It had the extravagance of God on it. That word, think about that word. We don't use that a lot. I don't use that a lot. But that word extravagance just does something to you, doesn't it? It just makes you feel, when you say extravagance, I just think of like a velvet robe and just walking along, you know. It's just extravagant. There's something lavish about it. There's something lush about it. There's something that that does something to you when you hear that word. And when you see her do this act in front of Jesus, some of us just read it like she walked up to him and was like, and walked away. It wasn't like that. It was a lavish gesture of devotion. It was elaborate. It was generous for all to see. It was a grand gesture of devotion and love for Jesus. It was an amazing act. Grand gesture. Let me ask a question. How many of you in here are married? Raise your hand. You got to claim them, okay? Ladies, you have to claim your husband. And how many of you And I just want to see ladies. How many of you ladies remember your marriage proposal? You remember it. Remember what happened. You remember the sights, the smell, the music that was playing. My hope for you is it was a grand gesture. Was it a grand gesture, ladies? Somebody else said no. Okay, great. (laughs) You can see me afterwards. Awesome. But I'm just thinking of myself, my wife. 
And I remember the time that I proposed to her and it was, I thought it was a grand gesture. Looking back, I'm like, man, it was pretty pitiful. But still, it was a grand gesture to a, to a 22-year-old kid who's wanting to get married to his love. And so I, I wrote a song for her. I did. I'm not a, I'm not a musical guy, but I, I do play guitar a little bit. And so I wrote a song for her. And I really want to sing it right now for you. I'm kidding. I'm totally kidding. <laughs> Y'all perked up and woke up then. I will not do that to you. But I wrote a song for her. And at the end of the song, it was like, will you marry me? I got down on my knee and it was this lavish gesture to show her. You know, I didn't hold back at all. I went all in. I was nervous. I don't know why I was nervous because she was going to say yes. I mean, I mean, come on. <laughs> so I, I'm, I'm playing my heart out, shaking. And I get down on my knee. I'm like, will you marry me? And she said, yes. And I gave it my all. I sung my all. I played my all. I got down on my knee my all. I gave her my all. There was a lavish gesture of devotion to her. I didn't hold back. And let me say something. God has never held back for you. What do you mean, Pastor Chris? I, don't, I want more stuff. I want God to bless me with more. Hey, welcome to the club, okay? Well, I want more stuff. That's not what I'm talking about. Let's look at creation. Let's look at the world that we live in. When we see in Genesis 1, we just see that Jesus, that, that, excuse me, that, that God was speaking, the Trinity was speaking into existence all these things, and we don't really get to see it, but yet we see it today. Watch this. We see that he spoke the heavens and the earth into existence and he didn't just create one star. Watch this. He created hundreds of billions of stars that none of us could ever count in a lifetime. It's so many. It's extravagant. God didn't hold back. He didn't go, I'm only gonna give you one star, maybe two if you're lucky. He said, I'm giving you billions of stars. Not only that, he said, let's look at the insects. He said, I'm not gonna give you one kind of insect. I'm gonna give you 10 million species he didn't say, I'm going to hold back. I'm just going to give you one or two, maybe three or four that you can handle. I'm giving you 10 million different kinds of species. But not just that, of ants alone, I'm going to give you 2,500 different kinds of species of ants that we all step on every day. The ant piles that we kick over, right? 2,500 variations of ants. 300,000 species of beetles. And listen to this, for those of you who are animal lovers, five billion birds in the U.S. alone. It's extravagant. Billion. And then he got even more extravagant with their personalities. Listen to this. Some can fly 500 miles nonstop without stopping. Mallards can fly 60 miles per hour. Eagles can fly 100 miles per hour. Falcons, 180 miles per hour. And listen to this. For those of you who are fishermen, there's 10,000 species of fish and 28,000 species of birds alone. God is extravagant. You can't convince me otherwise. Because I can just look around and look at creation and some of the things that we take for granted, it's extravagant. God's never, not a stingy God. He doesn't hold back. He lavishes his gifts upon us. Listen to me. I wonder if Jesus saw this woman's act of devotion, of pouring the oil. I, I think it reminded her of what the father did. I think it reminded her of going, this is extravagant. And what they're saying is wasteful, I'm saying is worship. And it's beautiful and it's wonderful. But we need to ask ourselves this question. Listen to me. Have you ever made an extravagant gesture towards God? 
And you're thinking back, huh? I don't know if I have Pastor Chris. You know the great part about legacy? Is we get to do something like that. We have an opportunity to do something that is a grand gesture towards God. Not towards the church, listen to me, but towards God. And that's why last week you heard Pastor Jacob talk about these cards that you see right in front of you in your seat back pocket. And we talked about all that God is doing, and I'm going to talk about it some more. But what the great part is, is next week is our Giving Sunday. And it's actually Daylight Savings. And so we, we get an extra hour of sleep. We fall backwards, and we're all saying hallelujah for that, right? But instead of Daylight Savings, we're calling it Saving Changing Lives Day. Because that's really what it's going to be. We get to make a lavish, grand gesture towards God with our best and greatest need and our greatest and best gift. And we get to come next week as a family. And I love these Sundays. If you've never been a part of it, you want to be a part next Sunday. And we get to walk to the altar and worship and music. And we get to lay down our greatest gift and our greatest need. And it's a grand gesture that says, God, I know you're bigger than what I even ask or imagine. And I'm believing for this miracle. I'm believing, God. I'm pouring out the oil right now, knowing this is my grand gesture towards you. Why? Because it has the extravagance of God on it. The extravagance of God. The second thing is, it's not just, it's not just the way she gave. It's the what that she gave. It was giving the best with nothing left. It was giving the best with nothing left. Let me, let me put it into context for you because when we read this, we're just going, oh, some oil. We're like I'll go down to the street to Costco and I'll get some oil. They have a big container of oil that I can buy. It's not that kind of oil, okay? What was common in the first century at that time is they didn't have running water like we do where we take showers and we smell good, or at least most of us do, each day. And it's wonderful. And we put on this nice cologne and nice smell good. It's it's wonderful. But they didn't have that. And so a common tradition in that day was that when people came over for dinner, you would take out your really expensive oil, fragrant oil, and you would just anoint them just to refresh them. It would be like a refreshing, like, oh, here you go. Here's a refreshing towel for your face. It's like one of those. And you would just give a little dab on it. But this woman goes way beyond what is custom and what is common. And she takes the best oil. How do we know that? Because theologians think that it was, it was the oil called spikenard. And this oil was so rare. It was only found in the Himalayan mountains far away, hundreds of miles. And it cost more than a year's worth of wages. Imagine spending your year's salary on one thing of oil. And so she took the best thing that she had. This wasn't like, you know, a Brute or a Stetson back in the day, man. You know what I'm talking about. She didn't go to CVS and go, what can I spray on them? Oh, that looks, that's $10, you know. This was the best. Matter of fact, this was probably her inheritance later on. It was probably passed down from family member to family member only to use in special occasions. And she saw it as a special occasion. And she walks into the room. Think about this. She walks into a room where she was probably never supposed to be. She was never invited. She wasn't welcome at that time. Women didn't just walk into rooms and do what they wanted to back then. And so she walks into the room with this alabaster jar and she goes up to Jesus. And I can just just set the scene. It's so amazing. She takes this jar and she just starts pouring it on him. 
No words were said, just starts pouring it on him. And she gave the best. She said, she's thinking to herself, this is my best. This is all I have. And she starts dumping it out. And I imagine she's on top of Jesus' head trying to get every last drop out, right? It's like the ketchup bottle that you're trying to get the last drop of ketchup. And she's doing it. And matter of fact, she probably turned it back over and she looked in, in, in this bottle and she goes, there's still some more left. You see, Mark, Luke, and John, they say that she didn't just empty out the bottle, but she actually broke the bottle. What does that mean, pastors? It means she was going to walk away with nothing. You, you know what I would have done? Like, I'm just going to be very honest. I would have gone like, man, this is really expensive. Uh, how about half, Jesus? We'll spit it halfsies. I'll take half, you take half, okay? Halfsies. Don't we do that sometimes with God? We make a bargain? We make a deal? Like, like, like he's on our level? God, if I do this, then you no, no, no. She broke it. It means there was nothing left. And so she broke it. And I can imagine she broke it maybe on Jesus' head. We don't know. But she broke it. And she picks up the pieces. And each piece had a little remnant. And so she just waited until it dropped off. And she could have been doing this for hours. I don't know. I don't think it was a quick thing. And she just waited. Okay, that one's done. She threw it away. Let me get this other piece. Good to the last drop. I'm going to keep going. And she just waited. Oh, that one's done. Why? Because she wanted to give the best with nothing left. Are you telling me, Pastor Chris, next week I need to bring, I need to empty my bank account and come? That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying I want you to do what God is calling you to do. I want you to give your best with nothing left. In a grand act, an extravagant act of devotion, I want you to give your best with nothing left. She broke it. And listen to me, this story is not in the Bible because she gave more than anybody else. There were other people in that room who had way more than she had. This is not about what we have. Listen to me, it's about what we're willing to give. She's remembered for her sacrifice, not for how much she gave. I don't know about you, I want to be remembered for what I sacrifice, not what I have. That's legacy. It's the absolute best. When was the last time you gave God your best with nothing left? I'm not just talking about money. I'm talking about our heart, our lives. We sang it today. Nothing else will do. I just want you. If that's true, break the alabaster jar and see what happens. Break the alabaster jar of our hearts and watch what God's going to do. When we say, I I want the best with nothing left, you can have my dreams, you can have all of me, my possessions, my life, my kids, my wife, everything I have, my job, my boss, all my my camp, my Polaris, my house, my car, everything, my hunting camp, my hunting lease. I just want you. You know what that's called? Nobody likes this word, but it's used. Nobody understands it. It's called lordship. It means, God, you're the boss, and whatever you want to do with all of this stuff, you can get rid of it, or you can give me more. Either way, I just want you. You can control all of it. I want to give the best with nothing left, and this is what she did. And many of you are asking, well, I don't even know what legacy is. What, are we giving my, what am I giving my best towards? I'm glad you asked that question this morning. Because listen to me. We're not asking you to give to a church. I'm asking you to give to change lives. 
We're going to give it all away. We're believing we're going to raise over a million dollars next week. Watch this. And we're going to give every penny away. Because there are people and loved ones that need their lives changed. And money's not going to change it. But God wants to use our resources and our faith to begin to bless other people. And listen to this. Here's what we're going to do. Here's what we're giving towards. We're going to take that million dollars. We're going to cut it up like this. We're going to give 200000 to the retreat at sunset. What's that, Pastor Chris? Well, it's a ministry center that hand selects, recruits, and then assists men as they transition out of long-term faith-based drug and alcohol treatment and get them back into society. Let me put it a less technical way. Get them back into your family. Get them back into being your dad, your brother, your husband, your uncle, your father, your grandfather. Listen, Pastor Jacob and I have done too many, too many overdoses this year. We've done too many overdoses. I'm tired of watching a four-year-old kiss a coffin when they put it into the hearse and she says, bye, daddy, and she loses it. And listen to me, if we wait on the government to do it, guess what? It'll never happen. The church has to rise up and begin to take care of people and to love on people and to help break the bondage of sin in their life. So that's why we have the retreat at sunset. The next thing we're going to do, we're going to take $100,000 and we're going to send people and men to 12 months of teen challenge to be saved and delivered. Those people who don't have enough money, we're going to send them. We're going to pay whatever it costs to get them there because your loved one, your friend, your boss, your coworker is worth it. God says their life is worth it. We're going to do that for them. And we don't want money to get in the way because the church is going to rise up and we're going to facilitate that. We'll send every person. We're going to talk to every district attorney and say, don't put them in jail. Put them right here. They need Jesus. They need Jesus. Listen, my dad was, was an addict for 40 years of his life. And he tried everything to stop, but it wasn't until he came to know Jesus, surrendered his life, and began living a life that was glorifying God that he began to live, leave a legacy in his life. And he became a father. He became a brother again. He became a husband again. And we want to help people do that. That's what we're going to be doing for our men. Women, this is what we're going to be doing for our women. 250,000 of it is going to be, we're going to join Tim and Demi Tebow to build a safe house for sex trafficked women to be saved, healed, set free. Listen, you might not realize it. It's happening in our backyard too. You can turn an eye to it. You can be oblivious to it. Doesn't mean it isn't happening. You can sweep the dirt under the rug all you want. The dirt's still there. And we're going to rise up because they have it. You can go to Tim Tebow's website and see all that they're doing in this area with sex trafficked women because we want to partner with them to help build a safe house. Because it's not a matter of getting out. It's where do they go to next? Where do they find help? How do they get out of that lifestyle? And we want to help them. And then the next 100,000, here's what we're going to do. We're going to take 100,000 or 500,000 of it. We're going to take 100,000 and give to each of our campuses. We have five campuses that we're going to give to. And they're all going to do different outreaches in the local areas of Acadiana. Midtown, I'm going to tell you what each campus is doing so your heart can be a part of it. Midtown is going to be creating a learning center for, for um, poor students on the north side of town to help them. New Iberia campus is developing and building a creative arts development for the school, for Assembly Christian School there. 
Broussard campus is going to be doing improvements and outreach for the needy areas in St. Martinville and Brobridge and helping expand their Hope Center to help those in St. Martinville. Opelousas, they're going into the poorest neighborhoods they have and they're going to be in reaching out to those that have been affected by COVID and those, watch this, who are scared right now. And we're going to be helping those areas. And this is where my heart of hearts is. And in here at Lafayette, what are we doing, Pastor Chris? I firmly believe, listen to me. If you want to stop a snake, you got to cut it off at its head. What does that mean? It means we can do all the work here, but if we don't start back there with our kids and the next generation, it will never, ever end. And so here's what we're going to do. And we got to put our money where our mouth is. We always hear, oh, the next generation. We, oh, it's all about the next generation. And yet, watch this. We're going to go back there and we're going to touch and remodel and redo every service so our kids see the best facility at the church that they can ever imagine. Watch this. Because then they're going to get education back there. We're not going to just babysit them. We're going to give them education. Well, I don't want my, uh, that, that sounds great. My kid's going to get smarter. No, no, no. Education in God should always lead toward exaltation. Watch this. If you're learning just to learn, it's not good enough. But we want to teach our kids that, guess what? God is higher than any alcohol you could put in your body. It's better than any, listen to me, any relationship that you could run to. And we want to give them a biblical foundation that's going to begin to cut off the snake and the head of the snake so that it won't grow back again. And so we can move forward with these addictions. Because unless we begin to change back there, nothing will ever change in here. And we want to invest in that. It is my heart to see this next generation prepared and raised up to bring light in this dark world. And we start by there, by telling them we value them. We're not just sticking you in the back. We're gonna give you our best with nothing left. Our best with nothing left. And the last one is this, write this down. Then comes the why, the why she gave. Her gift was motivated by love. It wasn't hindered by calculations. It was motivated by love and not hindered by calculations. Listen to me. The enemy of love is to calculate and ask this question, is it worth it? The enemy of love is to say, is it worth it? I I don't know what happened to that woman as she was walking in, but... The Bible doesn't tell us that when she walked in, she stopped in the doorway. She looked at her expensive, costly gift. It was the best with nothing left. And listen, I don't think she stopped and said, is it worth it? It wasn't a calculated thing. That's why the disciples said it was wasteful because it wasn't calculated. You know, while I was playing in the NFL, it was so we were so blessed, me and my wife. We were so blessed at that time. And we, we wanted to make it a priority that we would give. We wanted to be generous in our giving. So we didn't just tie the 10%. We went above and beyond. And I'm, I'm not saying this to brag. I'm saying this to show you something. Because our financial advisor, and she's a great woman, but she kept looking at us each year. And here's what she'd say. She'd say, hey, uh, can we talk about something? Sure. You guys are giving away a lot of money. And she goes, let me show you what you could do with that money and how your portfolio, I hate that word, right? 
your portfolio could grow. And we looked at her and we laughed and we said, thank you for letting us know, but we're gonna be even more generous than this. Because I refuse to calculate how much, listen to me, a woman is cost who's caught in sex trafficking. I refuse, listen to me, and I'm a product of it. I refuse to calculate if someone's father is worth sending to Teen Challenge because they might get their dad back. I refuse to calculate that because that woman that walked in didn't calculate. Oh, who's looking at me? How much is it going to cost? What this could be? It was a grand gesture of extravagant with the best, with nothing left, and it was not hindered by calculations. It was motivated by love. motivated by love because simply put listen to me love is sacrifice anytime I'm doing marriage counseling or talking with the single they always ask the question how did you know your wife was the one that's always the question how did you know Pastor Chris and I look at him I said that's easy and they look at me like whoa And some of you singles right now are going, whoa, I want to know what's the secret sauce. It's easy. It's very easy to know if it's the one. And I tell this story all the time. When Michelle, Michelle and I were dating, she was played college softball. And so she was teaching some teenage girls some softball lessons and a ball came up and hit her right in the eye and split her eye wide open. So she had to get glued shut, stitches, all this stuff, multiple layers. And so... She called me up and she said, hey, can you come over and help me wash my hair? I can't get it wet. And so I have to wash my hair in the sink. Can you, can you help, me, help me do this? So I said, sure. I'm driving over there. I'll never forget this. And I'm washing her hair in the sink. And it hits me. I'm enjoying this right now. I was 20 at the time. And I'm thinking to myself, I didn't once question or calculate was this worth it? I didn't say, oh, I'm playing video games. I can't, I can't come out right now. Sorry. I didn't say, oh, that's a long drive. I don't want to go all the way over there. Why? Because I was motivated by love and I was willing to sacrifice whatever it took. You want to know if you're ready for marriage? The question is, are you ready to sacrifice? Are you ready to, to die to yourself so that somebody else can be better? Here's the biggest question we have. Are you ready to sacrifice? I didn't ask, are you ready to give money? Because if you think this is about money, you've missed the whole thing. Money is just a resource that God uses. How many of you know God can do anything he wants to do? He doesn't need me or you, but he wants to use us because when we, he uses us, watch this, the blessing comes to us and then through us. Are you saying I'll get blessed? Absolutely, it's the Bible tells us. That's why we encourage you. On these cards you see in front of you, it has a back and a front. The back says this. It says, please join me in praying that I'm believing. And this is where you put your greatest need. For some of you, it's a lost son or daughter. For some of you, you're going, I haven't, we haven't been able to get pregnant and we really want to get pregnant. So, uh, we have so many crazy stories of years past of a couple who gave their legacy and their legacy gift 
It was all they had to spend on their fertility treatments. Listen to this. They couldn't have kids. And so they said, we, this is all we have left. I think we need to give it to legacy. A year later, they have a child. What does that mean, Pastor Chris? It means that when they were willing to die to themselves, God can do more. When they were willing to give the best with nothing left, God did more. For some of you, you're going, oh, I don't know where this is going to come out of. Just pray. What do you ask me to do, Pastor? Give? No, pray. But you want me to give money? No, pray. Just pray. I want you to do what God is calling you to do. I want you to give the best with nothing left. I want you to be so extravagant towards God that he goes, and it's not the amount. It's the motivation of the heart that I'm not hindered by calculations. I'm motivated by love. I don't want to inspire you this morning. That's not my goal. My goal is to get you to pray and to see that together we can always be better and we can do more. Because God is a big God that wants to use our faith more than he wants to use our money. So next week, I encourage you, take this home, pray on it. My wife and I pray. And we pray on it. And we pray how much, God. And then we give our greatest need. And then we come next week and we do this amazing thing where we give. But as we close, you want to know what's crazy about that story in Matthew 26. Is that 12 disciples did a price check on what it was worth. And the price that they came up with was wasteful. But then Jesus did his own price check and he said, that's beautiful and that's worship right there. God will never ask you to do something that he hasn't done already. Well, what do you mean, Pastor Chris? Guess what, guys? God went first by he gave his best in Jesus. He gave his best. And so he's expecting the same from us. We can give our best with nothing left knowing God is bigger than what I give. And my prayer for you this morning is for you to take the legacy challenge to say, I'm going to pray what's my greatest need and what can be my greatest gift. Bow your heads right now. Father, we thank you. Thank you for a challenging word, Lord. Thank you for encouraging us to give, not out of our wealth, but out of our poverty. I'm reminded, Lord, of the story of the widow who just gave the might. She gave the little penny. While others were dropping in gobs of money, she gave a penny. And Jesus spoke of her faithfulness and how she gave out of her poverty and out of her faithful heart. It's never been about how much. God's, you're always motivated by our hearts. So I pray we posture in our heart in a way to receive, Lord Father, what you're trying to get through us. And I pray no distractions over our congregation. This week, God, as they're praying, I pray that as couples pray individually, they would come back together and they would corporately begin to pray together about what their greatest need and greatest gift is. And I pray, God, you would use and bring open the floodgates of heaven for our people that as they give to you, the blessings would fall down like grace, God. We thank you that you have always given more than us, Lord. And you always will through your son, Jesus. 
with all heads bowed and all eyes closed this morning. The Bible says that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God gave his best. And the first step of legacy isn't to give your money, it's to give your heart. What does that mean? It means being born again. And the big question you have to answer is, have you been born again? I didn't ask, are you Protestant or Catholic? I didn't ask, have you been baptized or christened? Those are all great things. I asked, have you been born again? Those aren't my words, those are Jesus' words. He said, no one will enter in or even see the kingdom of heaven unless they are born again. And just like you were born physically once, You were only born spiritually once. And you can be in church all your life and do the church thing, but you've never made a decision for Jesus. You've never committed your heart and surrendered all. Today can be your spiritual birthday. I remember mine. It was August of 2001. I was in my car and I gave my life to Jesus. It wasn't in a church. It wasn't with the pastor. It was me and God in an act of devotion. And if that's you in here, I want to give you an opportunity to surrender your life this morning to be born again. I'm going to pray a prayer. The prayer doesn't save you, doesn't make you born again. Your faith, the word says, does. But we're going to pray corporately together. But you might be asking, well, how how do I do that? A, we just admit we're sinners in need of a savior. B, believe that what Jesus did on the cross was enough to cover our past, present, and future sins. And C, we confess him as savior. He saves us from our sins. And now he is Lord over our entire lives. But in just a second, on the count of three, I'm going to ask you to do something bold with all heads bowed and all eyes closed. I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. By raising your hand, you're saying, Pastor Chris, include me in that born-again prayer that you're going to pray. I'm not going to embarrass you. I just want you to raise your hand just so I see it. I'm the only one looking right now. One, God brought you here for a reason. Two, he's calling you home. Three, raise your hand high. Raise it high. Raise it high, wave it to me. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15. Awesome. Wonderful. Anyone else? 16. I see you back there. 17. You can put your hands down. If you raised your hand once, you don't ever have to raise it again. But if you want to join those 17 and say, Pastor Chris, I wish I had one more opportunity. I want to be born again today. I want today to be my spiritual birthday. I want you to raise it now. Anyone else? 18. Awesome. Thank you, sir. 19, 20, wonderful, 21. Well, church, with all those hands that were raised, we're gonna repeat this prayer together. Repeat after me, dear Lord Jesus, I believe that you're the son of God. I believe that on the cross, you took my sin, my shame, my guilt, and you died for it. I believe you faced hell for me, so I would not have to go. And you rose on the third day, to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on earth, and a relationship with your Father. Today, Lord Jesus, I turn from my sin to be born again. Say this with me. God is my Father. Jesus is my Savior. The Holy Spirit is my helper. And heaven is now my home. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.